Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Catherine. It is such a pleasure and such a treat to be with you this morning. Um, I've come with my kids, which I've never actually done before, so it's very exciting. They're in kids' work. Pray that they stay there, okay? Um, And my husband, who is somewhere, but he's here. Um, And what else did I want to say? I'm coming from the Sutton service. Um, And my background is teaching, so I do like object lessons. So some of you would have been given a fig. It's only because Asda didn't have enough, so there are seven out there. So seven of you, you don't win a prize or anything, but you've got the fig. But everyone should have received some love hearts. And they're not to eat, so if you're cheeky and you've eaten them already, hmm, I say hmm to you. Um, So this, what has this got to do with this? That's what I want you to think about today, and we're going to answer that question, hopefully. And through the sermon, I hope some of your faces are going to be like, oh, yeah, I get it, I get it. So what has this got to do with this? And so just before we start, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word today. I pray that you would really speak through me and that I would be receptive and responsive to what you have to say. I completely decrease that you increase, Lord. Have your way. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Amen. And so the title of my message today is Two Calls, One Response. Two Calls, One Response. And we're going to be reading from Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. Luke 13, verse 1 to 9. And it reads... Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up soil? Sir, the man said. Sorry, the man replied. Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And when I was preparing for this message and I thought of this incident, immediately this incident came to mind. Okay. Jada Pinkett has, has uh, termed this the holy slap. I don't think anything was holy about that slap, but it was the slap, the infamous slap that occurred at the awards ceremony when um, her, I don't know, they weren't husband and wife then, but, you know, whatever the situation was, but her man friend decided to, def- to defend her. And why it reminded me of this passage is because often we think about, and the discussion was around, did Chris Rock deserve what he got? Was, did he deserve it? Did he deserve that slap? And it also reminds me of this. 
Nollywood. Now, if you don't know Nollywood, guys, you haven't lived. Nollywood is like Hollywood, just minus the Hollywood budget, okay? And it is Nigerian Hollywood. And lots of the films are really about people. There's a lot of dum-dum, okay, in the films. And they're about people who have done things that are evil or wrong and are getting payback, okay? They're getting their revenge, they're getting payback. And why I thought of these incidents is that often, when we think about sin or we think about punishment, we think, what has the person done? What did they do, what did they do wrong? And it's not too dissimilar to human disasters. So in 2010, when the earthquake hit Haiti, approximately 300,000 people died. And some people declared that it was because of the sinfulness or the witchcraft of the nation. When Hurricane, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, some people had decided it was because of the sins of the city. And when disasters like this occur, we are often tend to believe that the suffering has been directly tied to the sinfulness. And we question what people have done wrong, maybe what we've done wrong, and whether God has been present in it at all. And this becomes even more challenging when suffering occurs to seemingly good people. And this is what seems to be happening in this passage that we've just read. While some of the Galileans were offering sacrifices at the temple, Pilate had Roman soldiers savagely massacre them and, um, in cold blood and mingle their blood with their sacrifice. The altar that was supposed to be a place of refuge, of, um, you know, of peace, had now become a place of danger, a snare, a trap. They had been slaughtered whilst they were carrying out acts of worship. How could this happen? How could God let this happen? Were these people being punished because they were outwardly pious, yet they were inwardly corrupt? And it's still common for us to think like this today. We think that there's a relationship between the degree of sin that we commit and the degree of suffering we experience. And it was common for the Jewish people to think like this as well. You know when in Job and his um, three friends, or I would call them frenemies, and they are trying to figure out, gosh, bro, like, why are you going through so much stuff? You must have really sinned. And even you see in John um, 9, verse 1 to 3, when the disciples are talking to Jesus and asking why the man had been born, what, what sin did he commit? Why was he born blind? Why was he blind? We tend to believe that suffering is tied to sinfulness. And it's oddly comforting because it gives us some sort of explanation as to why these things must be happening. Otherwise, it just seems completely random. However, God is not singling out people and punishing them for their sins. God is not karma. And we have to rid ourselves of that kind of notion that only good things happen to good people and only bad things happen to bad people. Because for anyone to suggest that such tragedy and despair happens to only bad people is completely ignorant of the scriptures. Were the apostles such bad sinners that they deserved to be uh, systematically hunted down and killed? Was Job such a bad sinner that he deserved for all his children to be killed? 
Jesus defeats this argument. In fact, he turns the tables. And what I would say is Jesus is quite savage in his response. And even a little bit unsympathetic. He doesn't say, this is so sad what happened to those Galileans. I'm so sorry. I'm going to offer up a prayer for them. In fact, he says, exactly what happened to them is what's going to happen to you. We will all perish. A little bit cold, I, I would say. He says, we are all equally sinful. We are no better than those who perished under these tragedies. Jesus is highlighting that what happened to the Galileans is what's going to happen to each and every single one of us. We will all face death one day. We will all face judgment one day. And the call to salvation is not just positive. Jesus, I love you, live in my best life, peace and harmony. But it is also about judgment, facing God's decree and wrath. And over the past five years, I think I shared actually last time I came to speak, again, I think it was one of these deeper topics about suffering. And I said that my family and I have experienced great suffering over the past five years. We've lost my mother-in-law, we've lost my father-in-law, and so we've come to be really acquainted with grief. And it's in these shocking moments when you do really realize the mortality, you know, mortality and the fragility of life. It's when we are confronted with these moments that we might start to ask ourselves questions like, what is life really about? I really need Jesus. I really need saving. And maybe you're here today and you don't know if you really have faith or not. I want to encourage you like this passage is encouraging us to think more urgently about it what life is really all about, and the salvation that Jesus has to offer. Jesus continues this conversation with another current event. He said, oh, you think that's bad. What about the towel that fell in Siloam? And I just want to go to that, yeah. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. The tragedy at Siloam was clearly an event that everybody had been discussing and that they had been well aware of. And Siloam was a city, um, it was an area just outside of the walls of Jerusalem on the southeast side of the city. And we think it's probably near the pool of Siloam. And this is where people with physical infirmities would go and lay by the pool, waiting to be healed by an angel that would stir the waters. It was not far from the temple, and apparently Pontius Pilate had been responsible for co the construction of this tower. In any case, the tower falls, and it kills 18 people. And Jesus was, well, here in this passage, um, two events are presented, the massacre in the temple and the collapse at the Tower of Siloam. Yet the same lesson is being drawn. Jesus is warning his audience not to assume that the victims of this tragedy are being judged for their evil. He's getting his questions to understand that nobody escapes God's judgment. And if we don't repent, we will also face God's judgment. It's so easy for us to, um, to say to Jesus, but I'm a good person and that other people are bad. They're, you know, not nice people and we're the good people. And God doesn't owe us anything, regardless of how pious or how great we think our lives have been or the sacrifices that we make. 
Paul expands on this in Romans 3, um, verse 9 to 19. It's a bit of a longer text. And he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who's, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open um, graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Not necessarily the, the passages that we like to read often, the feel-good ones, but it is a passage that just really shows us the reality of our sin, our original sin against God. However, it was easier for the listeners to think about the victims as even the people that were responsible or the injustice of the Roman murderers. But to take a look inwardly and to think about themselves and their sin was not really on their minds. And similarly for us, it is easier for us to look outwardly and judge the world and the sins and the brokenness of the world instead of looking inwardly and at our own depravity, at our own sin, at our own misdeeds. In a really famous article written many years ago um, in the Times under the subject, what is wrong with the world today, was this letter that was sent in. And it was the shortest entry. It's by G.K. Chesterton and it reads, Dear Sir, I am. And this is the precisely the point that is being made in Romans 3, verse 9 to 19. In short, I am the problem. The reality is God is the only true and perfect judge and we all stand condemned. So this is where the first call is made. The call for repentance. And often you see this kind of sign of, of a U-turn. Repentance is turning away from God and turn away from God. Were you awake? Did you, did you hear what I did there? Turning away from sin. We are not going towards sin. We're turning away from sin and turning to God. It is really a change of mind. It means a change of mind and a change of mind that leads us to a change in behavior and action. It's about changing our lives to conform to God's will. And in verse 3 and verse 5 of the passage that we read in Luke, we read, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus says this two times. And one of the repentance is talking about a once and for all repentance. But the other type of repentance is talking about a continual repentance, a continued commitment. So we see that as disciples of Jesus, as followers of him, that we are called to this lifelong process of repentance. Rather than examining the wickedness of the Roman soldiers, we examine our own 
issues, as I would say. Here we don't think of anybody as a worse sinner, but that we are all equally sinful. And the point that Jesus is making here is that we have to repent before it's too late. For the Galileans, for those that the tower fell on them in Siloam, their fate has already happened. But for us who are listening, that is still negotiable. It is a reminder that there is an end to this life, and, but we don't know when our last day will be. And so we are called to repent daily. Repentance is now the universal call and command for every man, every woman that is here. And it's a firm resolve that we are going to follow Jesus and that we are going to turn away from sin and turn away to, and turn to him. And so the second call comes, the call to fruitfulness. So I want you to look back at your fig tree. Fig tree? Your fig? You don't have a tree yet. You have your fig and your sweet. And I want you to think about what has this got to do with this? You can have a little chat. What has this got to do with this? Has it all been revealed to you? Okay, I see some of you have got deep. That's good. Peter was very loud. Um, he's had a lot to say, but it's good. It's good times, good vibes. Um, so what has this got to do with this? Now, um, we're going to find out in a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more context. So after Jesus is warning them about the, the need to repent unless you will perish, he then gives an illustration, and I, I kind of love this about Jesus, but if he was my friend, he would get on my nerves. Because he doesn't just answer a question like, give me the answer. It's a bit like a Nigerian a parent. You ask them a question, they give you a proverb. They give you a story. You just want the answer. So he then goes into another parable about a barren fig tree. And he's, his point here is simple, that God is looking for fruit. You've got the the, um, the vineyard owner, who is God, who is saying, I've been coming to this tree for three years. It's done nothing. It's produced no fruit. Cut it down. And then you've got the gardener or the vineyard dresser, the keeper, who is saying, would you just dig around? And give me a chance to dig around a little bit longer. Let me fertilize this. Let's have another chance at just getting some fruit from this tree. And then you've got the actual barren fig tree. And many scholars would say it represents the nation of Israel, but it also represents you and me. And I think it also links to this question of what are we here for? Of what use are we here on this earth? 
And the answer here in this parable is that we are called as believers to produce fruit. We are called to not just be consumers, but producers. The Bible says in Matthew 7, by, your fruit, by their fruits you will know them. And so what type of fruits are this? Um, we always do it in children's church, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruits that we are supposed to be producing. And so this is birthed out of this. Not literally, because that would make no sense. But this is like the heart. Our hearts, our inward working. I know it's not about seed, but there's some, there's some link there. <laughs> One is sown. It's all right. This is like our hearts. This is my interpretation, but Peter, there are many and several. <laughs> you, you do it. You share that with me after. Our hearts are what produce fruit. Every moment that we harden our hearts, these are hard. You like that? Harden our hearts. Every time that we uh, fail to repent and we fail to produce good fruit. Fruit symbolizes the product of repentance. And in Matthew 3 verse 8, it says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew, I think that's the next slide. So as we listen to Jesus's story, he's not really talking about a fig tree, is he? He's talking about you and me. He's talking about the condition of our hearts. The inner working of repentance in our hearts is what will produce visible fruit, is what produces love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, Fruit is produced out of a repentant heart, which leads us to have a changed mind, changed behavior, and relationship to the vine. So I'm going to wrap this up, and in closing, as a disciple of Jesus, there are two calls. There are many calls, but today there are two. The call to repentance and the call to fruitfulness. The call to not harden our hearts, to soften them, and the call to produce and bear fruit so that the world can know the God that we serve. It is out of our gentleness, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness that they know that we are believers and followers of Jesus. Jesus ends the story and tells his listeners with this, with this phrase, leave it alone. And this is why the Bible is so fascinating. This is the same leave it alone that is actually mentioned on the cross. Forgive. Forgive them. God's grace is allowing us more time. And this is the response. Two calls, one response. The response that I think that I receive from this message is grace. We have... The gardener saying, let me dig around one more time. And that's often my call to Jesus. I know I haven't produced this fruit. I've just shouted at those children that you gave me. I've just raged at them. I've just raged at my husband that you gave me as well. It's not that I picked, but you gave me, Lord. 
And now I haven't produced that fruit. Would you, would you dig around me one more time? Would you fertilize my heart again one more time? And his grace says, that's okay. I don't know how he talks to you, but he says, I've got you, girl. That's okay. It is the kindness of God, his love, his mercy, his compassion for us that caused me to repent. When I experience the grace of the Father, I can't help but say, Lord, I'm sorry. Dig around me one more time. His grace is always available. He's always offering more time. God desires to show us his grace and his mercy for the condition and state of our souls. He is known for his fondness in the minute, the invisible, the quiet, and the slow. We are called, as the vine dresser says in verse 8, prepare the soil of your heart and spread fertilizer on it so that you can bear fruit before judgment comes. Rip out the weeds of wickedness in your heart, remove the obstacles that keep us from him so that we can bear fruit before God. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Kingfisher's Catch Fire, takes another slant on this passage and he talks about manure. And I think that this actually has real uh, relevance in this text today. And he says that manure is a substance that is dirty, it is smelly, it's seen as refuge and waste, yet it is teeming with life. And often, when we feel like life is quite hard and a bit rubbish, cut it down, Lord. Get rid. Cut her down, chop him down, get rid. And often we want to deal with our problems by amputation because it seems the easiest and the quickest method to rid us of pain. But maybe it's in those moments of barrenness, in those moments where we are not producing, that we actually can have a bit of manure poured on us. Manure that's going to bring and team with life and growth. It's in those hard spots those barren places that we actually end up finding God. And if anyone is in the room today and you feel like you're in a hard spot, and I think actually the prophetic words that have been coming forward this morning, feeling stuck, feeling as if there's a cloud, a dark blanket over us. And we want to say, cut it down, Lord, just cut it down, get rid of it. Perhaps in the providence of God, in these manure moments in our life, there is actually so much growth that is present. And in a moment, I'm going to lead us into a time of quietness and just time to do business with God. But firstly, I just want to give you some time um, just to maybe answer one of these three calls. The Spirit of God is definitely bringing conviction today. And he is calling us to a place of repentance. We all know that we're going to face judgment one day and we have to make our lives right with Jesus. And maybe you're doing this for the first time and it's the best thing you could ever do. So that's my first, um, my first call. My second is that maybe there's areas in your life that you feel like you're not producing fruit. 
They're barren and they need God's grace. They need his time. And lastly, maybe you're actually just going through a time where you feel like you're in the manure of life. It is hard and it is difficult, but you're asking for God to dig around one more time and fertilize your heart, bring growth to you. And I pray that Jesus meets with each and every single one of us today. So before I pray, I'm just going to leave some time for us to do business with God. Would you just call out to him and present your request to him? Would you settle and get your heart right with him? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be with us today? In a moment after I pray, I'm going to invite the band up and I just pray that you can respond in worship, that you will be able to express what it is that is on your heart. And just know that out of repentance comes such beautiful fruit that is in keeping with what he has called us to produce. So, Father, we just pray we have fallen short. We are sorry for everything that we have thought and said and done that has fallen short of what you have called us to. And we receive your grace and your forgiveness right now. We thank you that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And so for all of us here who know that our hearts may need to get right with you, thank you that you do not condemn us, but you provide us with such grace and forgiveness. I pray for those of us here, Lord, that feel like our lives are just barren. That we're not producing the fruit that you would desire for us to produce. Lord, would you dig around us one more time? Would you help us, Lord? And I pray for those, Lord, who are feeling like maybe they're in the manure of life. They're in really difficult, tight and hard spots. I pray actually that that manure would fertilize our hearts and produce such great fruit and just that is teeming with so much life. Would we find you in those hard spots, in those hard places? Would we find healing and love in those hard spots and hard places? Thank you, Lord. Let's invite the band to come up. And as I said, this is not where it ends. As the band come up, I would love you to respond in worship. And if you would like any prayer after, I am here and I'm so more than happy to pray with you. God is here. His spirit is here. And he loves us and is so gracious to us. So really respond and call out to him. Amen.